This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. Well, take your Bibles as we continue in the book of Psalms and turn to Psalm 48 this morning. Psalm 48. And while you're turning there, let me just give you a couple of reminders as always. Uh, if you are a guest today, would you give us some information about yourself? You can fill out that connect card. We would love to have that and know that you are here and get you some information about our church. And then also, please, guest, member, anybody, uh, we want to ask you to fill this out if you can and let us know how we can pray for you. We love praying for you. And you've been more faithful recently to give us these. And we've been praying faithfully for you on Monday mornings and throughout the week. So give us that information. It'll be an honor for us to do that. Both of those can be put in the offering plate right at the back of the doors, all of the doors there, those little baskets. You can put that there and we would love to uh, have a record of your visit and know how we can pray for you. As I was reading Psalm 48 this week, I kept thinking about a phrase uh, that a pastor friend of mine, a mentor used to say over and over. My uh, first pastoral position was under his leadership as his associate pastor. And in every context, this is just kind of the phrase that he was known for. It just kind of oozed out of him in every sermon, uh, everything he wrote, this phrase used to come out. So it's deep in me, first of all, just because I heard it a lot. But the more I've grown to walk with the Lord and know the Lord, the more it's come deep within me because I've realized that it's true. And it's interesting because it's such a simple phrase but yet, again, the more I walk with Jesus, the more I realize just how profound this little phrase actually is. He used to always say this, everything flows from the presence of the Lord. You've heard me say that before. Everything flows from the presence of the Lord. Every single thing your heart longs for, every single thing you need, every desire is found and fulfilled in the presence of the Lord. And what we mean by that is that it is in communion with the Lord, in closeness with the Lord, that you come to experience those things. Not just knowing him from a distance, not just dabbling in the things of the Lord, not just giving him a little bit of your time and a little bit of your attention, but the more you give yourself to knowing the Lord and the closer you are to him, the more you will experience everything he has to offer. You must believe this by faith. Everything you need, everything your heart longs for is found in him. The question is, will you go and experience that by your proximity, your daily closeness to him? And we're not just talking about a one-time decision of saying, yes, I want to follow the Lord. It's making your closeness to him a moment-by-moment -moment daily decision. And I want to tell you this. I have never met anyone who really went after the Lord and got to know him and sought him and spent time with him that was ever disappointed. Every person I've ever met that have really walked with the Lord is ready to bear testimony. Everything my heart ever longed for, all of the joy and satisfaction, the meaning in life is found right there. This is why I say to you all the time, my goal every Sunday morning is just to plead with you to spend more time with Jesus because I know you will not be disappointed. Every question that you ask in life, 
All of the big questions, who am I and why do I exist and what am I supposed to do with my life? All of those are found in the presence of the Lord. And that really is the theme of Psalm 48. Psalm 48 is both reminding us of the satisfaction that comes in the presence of the Lord and the mission that comes from the presence of the Lord. As we spend time with him, we find our hearts satisfied and we also find ourselves compelled to give ourselves to the mission of God. Because we not only in his presence become aware of his greatness, but then we long to share his greatness as we get to know him more and more. It is amazing what happens in the life of one who just commits to pursue intimacy with Jesus Christ. That's what Psalm 48 wants us to see. If you're there in Psalm 48, say amen. Let me read it for us. It says this. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled and they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic and they took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east winds, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought of your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Verse 12. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Now the Psalm begins with an exclamation of praise. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised there is most likely some connection, probably circumstantially, between Psalm 46, 47, and 48. They seem to follow a bit of the same theme. And we have seen in those two Psalms this kind of exuberant exclamation of praise, almost as if the sons of Korah who are writing these songs for the church to sing cannot help but to give praise to the Lord. It's not manufactured, it's authentic. And that's why we saw last week in Psalm 47. It says, clap your hands, all peoples, and shout to God with loud songs of joy. Why? For the Lord is the most high, and he's to be feared. He's a great king over all the earth. In other words, if these things are true, that God is a great king over all the earth, then we should give him praise and sing songs with loud songs of joy. And so it is in chapter 48, verse 1. The Lord is great. He is great. And the one who is writing this is one who has experienced his greatness. He has been in the presence of the Lord. He has encountered God himself. He's not just hearing it from someone else. He's tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so now he bears this testimony. The Lord is great and he's greatly to be praised. Meaning the degree of praise is determined by the degree of greatness. If the Lord is great, he deserves great praise. And this is going to be an important theme that's going to go throughout this psalm. It is our recognition of who God is that gives us the proper response to God. If God is kind of great, 
he deserves some kind of great praise. If he's kind of sovereign, he deserves a little bit of hope and trust. If he's just a little bit king, he deserves a little bit of your allegiance. But if he is all of those things, then he deserves all of you. And what the psalm is going to remind us of is as we come to experience ourselves, not taking my word for it, even Psalm 48's word for it, as we begin to experience ourselves, what it's like to really know God, to spend time with him, to get to know him, we will then in response to that find an overflowing praise that is coming not only in us and satisfaction, but through us so that other people come to know him. Now, the question is, what has brought this exuberant praise in Psalm 48? And that's what seems to be so surprising. Look at verse one. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. And now the emphasis from here on goes to Mount Zion, the temple of the Lord. Look at the emphasis. His holy mountain in verse one. Verse two, it's beautiful in elevation. It is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Verse three praises the, the citadels of God and him as a fortress. Verse eight talks about the city of the Lord of hosts and the city of our God, which will be established forever. Verse nine talks about the temple. Verse 11 talks about Mount Zion. Verse 12, it says, walk about Zion and see the towers and the ramparts and the citadels. In other words, what seems to be happening here is the sons of Korah have gone to Mount Zion where the temple is and they have seen what is there. And as they see what is there, they're saying there's nothing more glorious and magnificent and worthy of praise than this. I mean, just look at that phrase, the holy mountain, beautiful in elevation. This is the joy of all the earth. Now, the only complicated thing about that is that Mount Zion itself is really not that spectacular. This seems to be a bit of an odd response to Mount Zion. It's, it's more of a little mound than a glorious mountain. I mean, this would kind of be like someone visiting the Atlanta area for the first time and then writing a poem, and it goes something like this. Oh, the majesty, oh, the glory, oh, the splendor, the joy of all the earth, Stone Mountain. I mean, it's neat. I mean, the carving's neat. And uh, you got to be honest, when Elvis sings the American trilogy there at the light show, that gives goosebumps. That's a special moment. But if you were overseas and someone said to you, I want to visit America, I need the most glorious and magnificent place, you probably wouldn't say, there's a little place called Stone Mountain. I mean, this is not, you know, Arches National Park. This is, you know, this, this is not something that you look at and go, this is magnificent and spectacular. You would not say, hey, Yellowstone's for the rookies. You got to go to Stone Mountain. That's, that's where it's at. But to be honest, this psalm feels like that. Oh, the glory, the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion. And you see it and go, are you, are you sure? It just doesn't appear that, that glorious. But what the sons of Korah, as they're writing the song, are doing is they're not celebrating a place, they're celebrating a person. The significance of Mount Zion is that the temple is there, and the significance of the temple is that that is where the presence of God is. So when we read Psalm 78, and we're talking, I mean, Psalm 48, and we're hearing about the temple and the ramparts and the citadels, all of that is pointing us to a person. 
See, what's happening is they're saying, listen, we have gone to the temple. We have been in the presence of the Lord, and we're here to bear testimony to you that there is nothing more glorious in all of the earth than the presence of our God. The glory is not the hill itself. The glory is not the temple. The glory is that the presence of God is there. The truth is, this has always been the great theme of Scripture. I mean, you can trace the entire storyline of scripture by following God's consistent plea that we be in the presence of God. God has always made it very clear that the only place we will ever be home because we have been created by God and we have been created for God is in his presence. He has always made it clear that we will never fully experience life unless we find it in closeness to him. Let's just think about this for just a minute. I want you to see this theme. That when God created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden, the glory of the Garden of Eden was that God was there. That Eden was the place in which his presence dwelt. And what brought so much life and joy in the garden was that they lived in unbroken fellowship, perfect communion with God. All of the goodness of Eden was because they were in the presence of God. Now, when sin entered, what happened is it broke the presence of God. And so now Adam and Eve could not experience the fullness of God's presence because sin was there. And their removal from Eden was their removal from the presence of God. The worst thing that happened as a result of sin is that they could no longer live in unbroken presence. Meaning, now they experienced all of the difficulty, the pain, the suffering of life outside of the presence of God. But God, as he always does, pursued them. He knew that they would only find life in his presence. So as the people of God made their way into the promised land and went on this long journey, what did God do? Well, he gave them a tent, a tabernacle. It was a place in which his presence was to dwell. And it was something that you could move because they needed to move it with them. Their only hope on this journey was that God's presence would go with them. So everywhere they went, God's presence went as well. And then when they got to the promised land, David had a vision of building a temple where it would be a permanent place for God's presence to dwell. His son Solomon actually built it. And when he dedicated the temple, the glory of the Lord filled the temple in such a way the priest could not even look because the glory was so great. It was there that the presence of God was. But that earthly temple was just a picture of another temple that was coming. Because it tells us in John chapter 1 verse 14 that Jesus Christ the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of God full of grace and truth. And when it says that Christ came to dwell within us, the word that is used there is that Jesus came to tabernacle within us. So God, still pursuing us with his presence, sent Jesus Christ, the fullness of the presence of God to come and tabernacle among us. He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose three days later. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And then in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, it tells us that as the people prayed, the very Spirit of God descended upon them. And so now, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we as believers become the temple of God. So now the very presence of God dwells in us. That by the very spirit of God, we can experience God's presence moment by moment and day by day. And it is through us, his name is to be made known. And through his presence in us and in the church, 
until one day when Christ returns, he will establish his kingdom once again on earth. And it is here that his presence will dwell just like the story began. The story ends the way the story begins with God's people enjoying God's presence. But we are in that moment now in which God, through your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, has put his spirit inside of you. Which means that every moment of the day, no matter where you are, you don't have to go someplace to experience his presence. You just have to go to him. So when John says, I'm the vine and you're the branches, what he's saying is, is you have the ability to experience me and know me and be in my presence every day. And the goal of that, Acts 2, is not just so that you would find satisfaction in my presence. It's so that through you, my presence might spread to the ends of the earth. Church, know this. It has always been God's design that you find everything you need in the presence of God. Psalm 48 is reminding us this by this constant emphasis on the city and the place of the Lord. It's his desire that we know him and experience him and the whole earth know him and experience him. That's why it says there in verse three, within her citadels, God has made himself known. It is there that God is known. But I want you to notice in verse two, something really interesting happens here that shows us how just important Jesus Christ is. It says, his place, this holy mountain is beautiful in elevation. It is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion in the far north. Well, in, in the, the Hebrew language, that phrase is a little bit different there. And it's understandable why when they translated this to us, they changed it just a little bit. Because the real translation instead of Mount Zion in the far north is this. Mount Zion, the uppermost peak of Mount Zaphon. That's really what it says. It uses the phrase in the Hebrew, the uppermost peak of Mount Zaphon. Now, that makes the exuberance over Zion even stranger. Because now Zaphon would have been a much larger and a much more glorious and magnificent mountain. It would have stood in the far north. And if you were visiting the area and looking at all of the mountains, you would not stop and take your family pictures at Mount Zion. You would have taken your pictures at Mount Zaphon. It was much greater and glorious. But the thing you have to know about Mount Zaphon is it was the seat of the God of Baal. And everyone who worshiped Baal would go to Mount Zaphon in order to worship. And so here's this magnificent, beautiful mountain that everyone would be drawn to, but Baal is there. And how in the world can you ever find life in a God that is not alive? But over here is Mount Zion, which seems small and insignificant, and you might overlook if you didn't know better, but it is there that the presence of the Lord is. And what the psalmist is saying is this, is that all of the glory and all of the splendor and all of the majesty is not found on Mount Zaphon, it is found on Mount Zion. It is warning us to not be drawn away by the glory and majesty and invitation of these false gods and fail to come to that which you might overlook. That is the satisfaction that can only be found in the Lord God himself. What the psalmist is doing is making a declaration that our God, no matter what it appears to look like, is absolutely supreme over every other God. There is no one else. He stands alone as the ruler of all things. Only he has life. Only he can satisfy. But now Zaphon is symbolic for us. It stands for the way in which most of the nations are going. Most of the people are taking that broad way that leads to destruction. Most people are drawn away by what appears to be glorious. You know what? So are we. 
So are we. That we all struggle with idolatry in some way or another. And the enemy is subtle. He knows that you're not going to be tempted to leave the Lord by being given a little wood statue of an elephant with six horns and a bunch of extra limbs and burning incense. That's probably not going to be what draws your heart away. But it could be your desire to be accepted or loved or known. It could be your own persona and what people think of you. It could be your obsession with your own reputation. It could be your work. It could be your kids. It could be your marriage. It could be your family. What you're worshiping is whatever takes your mind, your heart, and your affection. What has the most of your mind? What has the most of your thoughts? What has the most of your affection? What is that one thing that if you didn't get that, that would crush you? What is it that has your heart? Well, that's what you worship. And so what we have here in Psalm 48 is Mount Zion here and Mount Zaphon here. And it's an invitation in order to come to that which alone can satisfy. It is a statement that there is a God here that you might overlook. But I assure you, he is the only one that can truly satisfy you in this life. As I said a moment ago, how can something that does not even have life ever give you life? And how sad it is that the nations and many of us are being drawn away by something that appears magnificent, but actually has no life at all. You say, well, how can you be so confident that this is about Jesus Christ and that he stands alone as the one and the only one that can save us and give us satisfaction? Well, that's the point of verses four through eight. It says that the kings have assembled together and they all came together And they came against the Lord at Mount Zion. But it says, as soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic and they took flight. Now, this could be reference to some certain situation, like we talked about two weeks ago with the Assyrians, where the Lord comes and shows his authority. We don't know exactly. But the point is, it's showing us that throughout all of history, nations have come together and tried to fight against the Lord. And he has always shown himself supreme. It says, trembling took hold of them there in anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. We've heard and we've seen in the city of the Lord of hosts and the city of our God, which God will establish forever. You see, the reality is it's pointing us beyond Zion to an eternal lasting kingdom. Do you see what it says? There is a city that is established forever. Well, that's not the Zion that they were talking about. That was destroyed. There is a real kingdom that will never be shaken. It is pointing forward to King Jesus and his kingdom. And what it's saying, according to Psalm 2, tells us that the nations are raging and they're plotting. Psalm 2 gives this picture of all these people coming together and saying, we're going to take down the Lord and his anointed King Jesus. We're going to break his bonds off of us. This is what we're like in our rebellion to the Lord. Jesus isn't going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to submit to him. I'm going to do my own thing. And it says that as long as we do that, what happens is we are actually fighting against the king and his kingdom because at the end of all things, there will be one king standing and his name is Jesus. There will be one kingdom that lasts forever. And if our hope and life is not found in him, then we have no hope and no life. There's one kingdom that will be established forever. There's one king. So church, let your hope rest in that king and his kingdom. It is eternal. And the only way that you can ever find eternal life and life right now is found in him. His kingdom lasts forever. That's a significant phrase where it says the city of our God will be established forever. It's only the kingdom of King Jesus. 
who showed us through his death on behalf of us for our sins and his resurrection and his ascension and his soon return. That is the proof that that king came and fought the greatest battle that we ever faced and he defeated that battle. And if he defeated death, sin, and hell, he can defeat everything else and he will establish his kingdom on earth. And the only thing that matters at this point is this. Are you on the side of King Jesus? Are you on the side of King Jesus? His kingdom will remain forever. But you see, what it's telling us is, is not only are you on the side of King Jesus, because I, I always worry that we think, well, yeah, I did that. I got on the side of King Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. No, but what's happening here is they're bearing testimony to just how good it is, not just to be on his side, but to find life in him every moment of the day. To stop just dabbling in the things of the Lord and give him our full attention and our full affection. Because this is really what he does. He, he shows us through these verses the kind of satisfaction that there's found in Jesus Christ. Look at this. Just a few things here. First of all, it says that protection is in his presence. Verse 3. God has made himself known as a fortress. Where do you run when things get difficult? Where do you run at that moment of diagnosis? Where do you run at the moment in which your hopes seem dashed? Where do you go? Where do you go? There's only one safe place to go, and it's to the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is our fortress. You gotta run someplace. It says our protection, our safety is found in his presence. Our hope is found in his presence, verse eight. That's where his kingdom will be established forever. If your hope is not set on there, your hope will be disappointed. Love is found in his presence, verse nine. We have thought of your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. I think one of the things that often happens to us is we long to feel accepted and we long to feel affirmed. We long to have affirmation. And so we often do anything we can in order to find that from other people. And if we're not careful, that will lead us in a very difficult and very painful journey as our lives just exist to get people to think correctly about us when the reality is we are to be settled in who we are by what Christ says about us. So when you come to the place where you know that you're affirmed and you're approved and you're completely accepted by the Lord himself, then all of a sudden your fight to constantly receive that from someone else dies, then you find that you're fully and perfectly loved in his presence. But if you're not spending time with the Lord, you're never gonna find that out. Love is in his presence. A vision is in his presence. A vision for your life. Uh, verse 10 says that as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. That the desire of God in Eden was that his presence spread to the end of the earth. The desire of God's people in the promised land was that his name be spread to the ends of the earth. The desire for God's people in the church in Acts 2 is that his name would be made to the ends of the earth. And do you know that as you spend time with God, what happens is, is God's desires become your desires? As you spend time with God, you get captured by a greater vision. It is so easy for us to live for things that are so temporary and things that don't matter and things that don't last. We exhaust ourselves for things that matter very little. And when we get into the presence of God, what happens is we get captured by a grander vision that God wants to use you not only to enjoy him, but to make him known. God gives you a grander vision for your life in his presence. We also get joy in his presence, verses 11 and 12. Let Mount Zion be glad and let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. 
One of my favorite passages is Psalm 16, where it says, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forever. One of the things that keeps me pursuing God day after day is I actually have experienced the joy of God's presence and I know the misery of not being in his presence. I know that a day or two days or three days without spending time with the Lord leads to greater and greater misery. And I'm drawn to the Lord out of a desire to just experience the joy that comes from the Lord. So for your own joy, spend time with the Lord. There is joy in his presence. And look at the last one here in verse 14. There's, there's direction and guidance in his presence. This is our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Where are you going for direction? Where are you going for guidance? Where are you going to make the difficult decisions of life? All of that is found in him. The reality is, is this idea of Mount Zaphon really is symbolic for us. The Mount Zion and Mount Zaphon and we are constantly drawn to find all of those things I just mentioned here when the Lord says, no, 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 all of those things are found here. And the truth is, as we spend time in God's presence, we find not only our primary satisfaction, but we, pri we find our primary mission, the reason that you exist and the way in you experience life is all found in him. You say, well, well if this is true, then how do I respond to this? I mean, let's just ima imagine if what I'm saying is true, that only Jesus lasts, only Jesus satisfies, that this great vision of all of life is Christ on mission, making himself known, and you're either a part of it or not a part of it. What if all this is true? How do you respond? Well, that's verses 12 through 14. Look what it says. If this is true, that all satisfaction is found in the Lord and everything our heart longs for is found in him, well, look at what it says. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers and consider well her ramparts and go through her citadels. So what it would be saying to those that were reading this originally is, if this is true, if everything you're looking for is found in the presence of the Lord and this is the temple, well, why don't you take some time and go walk around the temple? Why don't you take some time to just look and look at the ramparts and the citadels and just be amazed at what is happening here? But remember, this is not about a place. This is about a person. So the command for us is this. If this is really true, that everything you long for is found in the Lord, why don't you go walk around for a while and spend some time with the Lord? Why don't you look to him and consider him? Why don't you make your great ambition him? I mean, what if your experience of him, listen, what if your experience of him is in direct relation to how much time you're spending with him? Wouldn't that make sense? So you're saying, well, I've never found the Lord that satisfying. I would say to you, how much time are you spending with the Lord? Again, I've never found anyone that spent time with him that came away disappointed. That we long for so much more. Oh God, we want more. I need more. There's something missing in my life. Well, the Lord is saying, I know that and it's me. Go to me. Walk around and look and consider me. I love all of the words that are used there. Spend some time with me. Go through the citadel. Spend time in my presence. And what will happen there? is you will find him incredibly satisfying. But the response to this is, is to know him and to find him good. But the other response is to not only know him, but to make him known. Again, there's two sides of the same coin here. God is saying, when you get in my presence, you enjoy me. And when you get in my presence, then you make me known. Because look what it says there. And as you experience me, you can tell the next generation that this is God. Our God forever and ever, he will guide us forever. 
I, I was had the opportunity to have lunch this last week uh, with uh, a real mentor of mine who just happened to be in town and uh, he has four grown children and I said, hey, and three daughters and all of them are walking with the Lord. And I said, listen, give me some parenting advice. I need some help. And uh, he said this, he said, pray a lot and walk with Jesus. And I thought, well, I know that. I need something like, something different. And you know what I've discovered? The greatest parenting advice, the greatest way to raise the next generation is you walk with Jesus. You experience the Lord and then you tell them about it. The truth is, is that God wants to raise up a next generation of people that are passionate about him. I don't know what your feelings are about the election and what's happening now, but if you really want to make a difference in this nation, why don't you invest in the next generation? Why don't we raise a generation of people who know the Lord because they have heard it from someone who's experienced it? Uh, Listen, I want to hear about the Lord from someone who's done it, who's been there, who's been in the presence of the Lord and says, this is good and it's worth it. Go for it. That's what Psalm 48 is doing for us. The truth is, we stand at the end of Psalm 48 and, and we have these options. Mount Zaphon is the gods of the world, everything else in life that is inviting you in. And then Mount Zion, that you have to believe is greater by faith because it doesn't appear that way. But the faith is not simply saying, I'm gonna put my hope in you, but it's saying moment by moment, day by day, I am gonna journey my way to Mount Zion. I'm gonna spend time in the presence of the Lord because by faith, I believe it's better. And when everything over here invites me in and calls me in, I'm gonna believe by faith that there is nothing to be found there, that everything is here. And so the question is this, which mountain are you headed toward? Daily, which mountain? Have you entered into the pathway to Zion by trusting in Jesus Christ alone is the payment for your sins? And if you have, are you walking daily with him or do you find your heart drawn away by this? I'm pleading with you, make Christ a priority in your daily life and I assure you, he will never disappoint you. The joy of all the earth is found on Mount Zion in the presence of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.